Let's read the scripture together from Exodus 3, 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a burning bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Thank you, Melissa. Good morning, Elevation. It is so wonderful to worship with you this morning um, and look at this scripture passage together. Excuse me, <laughs> dropping things up here. I'm going to start by telling you a little story. Um, so several years ago, Dwayne and I were a part of a small group uh, at our church in Los Angeles, and one night this new guy came to visit. His name was Adam, and we liked him right away. He was down-to-earth, genuine, and immediately he started to open up to us and share some pretty vulnerable things about what was going on in his life. And I was deeply moved by what he was sharing, and I felt like I really wanted to pray for him. So during the end of a small group during prayer time, I volunteered to pray for him. And it was one of those times when, you know, you just, the Holy Spirit gives you the words to say. And I was praying for Adam. I was praying for Adam and his mom and his dad and his brother and his sister that God would just meet them. 
Um, and I got done with the prayer, and Adam looked at me and he said, wow, that was a beautiful prayer, thank you, but my name is David. <laughs> oh, it's painful. <laughs> so somewhere in Los Angeles, there was an Adam who was being blessed by the Holy Spirit that night, uh, but that, he was not it. Um, names are significant, names are significant, and that is what we're talking about um, this month together, the names of God, the different names that God gives himself, that we give God, and what those names reveal about his character and how we relate to him. So last week, Brandon spoke to us about the Lord God, L-O-R-D, cap, capitals, and he began in creation with how God introduced himself to his creation as the Lord God. And this week we move into God calling his people to himself through his name. And we begin in Exodus chapter 3. The scene opens with Moses shepherding his, his flock in the land of Midian. And as he's going along, he sees a burning bush that's not being consumed by flames. And um, he goes to, to inspect this bush and God is in the bush and God calls to Moses. And he says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers. And immediately Moses knows, oh, this is a big deal. Because we have to remember, Moses didn't have uh, the Bible like we have the Bible today. He didn't have an Old Testament that would teach him about God and the character of God. But he had stories that he'd heard passed down through the generations about this God, Yahweh, who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he knows, oh, this is a big deal. And so he takes his shoes off and he covers his face. And God proceeds to call Moses to this huge task that is bigger than anything Moses could have come up with on his own. God says, I have heard the suffering of my people. And I'm going to send you to go face Pharaoh and ask him to set them free. And of course, Moses' first question is, well, who am I that I should go face Pharaoh? Now, what's interesting to me here is that there's some pretty obvious things God could have said to answer this question. He could have said, well, you were adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. You were raised in the palace. That makes you a great negotiator to go meet with Pharaoh. But God didn't say that. God could have said, you were educated with the Egyptians. You know how they think. You know how they argue. You know how they persuade. That's what makes you a great mediator for this task. God didn't say that either. God could have said, well, you grew up with Ramses, who is Pharaoh. He, he was like a brother to you. You know him personally. That's what makes you a great liaison for this task. But God didn't say that either. God said, I will be with you. God didn't talk about the things that obviously made Moses the right candidate for the job. God talked about who he was. It was as if he said, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am and I am going to be with you. But that wasn't enough for Moses. Moses pushes further, and he says, well, what if I show up to the Israelites, and I tell them that you've sent me, and they say, what's his name? What's God's name? Now, this may sound like an odd question to our ears, but if we go back and look at the historical context, in the ancient Near East, uh, their religious culture believed that the name of a god was intrinsically tied to the power of that God. So if you wanted to access the power of the God, if you wanted to draw down the power of that God, you needed to know their name. So when Moses is asking God for his name, he's really asking two things. He's asking, 
what kind of a God are you, this Yahweh, who's the God of our fathers? Again, he doesn't have the Bible like we have it. He's like, what, what kind of a God are you? And the second thing he's asking is, what unique power do you have, God, that I'm going to be able to call on and draw down when I am facing Pharaoh? Now, the thing I love about our God, and the thing that I love about what's communicated about our God through this scripture is that he knows the unspoken questions Moses is asking. God is a relevant God. He knows the historical context, the time and the place that he's entering in, and he meets us exactly where we are in our culture, in our context. And so God hears these unspoken questions that Moses is asking. He knows that Moses is asking him what unique power he has to offer Moses as Moses goes forth to face Pharaoh, who is, for all intents and purposes, the most powerful human being on the planet, as far as Moses is concerned. And so we look at God's answer through this context, and what does an how does God answer Moses? What name does he give him? And he gives him this phrase in Hebrew, Ehyeh asher ehyeh. Now, traditionally, we translate this to mean I am who I am, but there's actually lots of different ways it can be translated. I read about six or seven different commentaries as I was getting ready for this sermon today. And um, what's amazing is there's so many different meanings that are actually wrapped up in this Hebrew phrase. First of all, the middle word asher could mean three different words who, what, or that. And I don't know if some of you, like me, I grew up hearing this, this phrase, I am who I am, also translated, I am that I am. Have any of you heard that? I am that I am. I am who I am. I am what I am. Uh, the verb ehyeh is like our verb to be, but in Hebrew, it can be translated in the first person or the third person. So it can be I am or he, he is. So if we just narrow our scope a little bit, let's just, for our purposes this morning, say asher is going to be who, and we're going to translate ehya as first person. There are actually nine different ways we can translate this verse. It could be, I am who I am, I am who I was, I am who I shall be, I was who I am, I was who I was, I was who I shall be, I shall be who I am, I shall be who I was. I shall be who I shall be. So all of these meanings are wrapped up in this name that God is giving to Moses as an answer to what unique power he has to offer Moses. And so all the scholars that I was reading, they, they enumerated all the different translations, but they all came to a consensus about essentially what this name means. And it was, I am the God who is there for you, or I like especially how Victor Hamilton writes it. He says, I am there with you wherever you are. I really am. That this is the meaning of I am who I am. And this is the power, the unique power that God is offering Moses uh, with his name. So again, Victor Hamilton says, Moses asks God for a name, and Yahweh responds by providing not a label, but a theology. I am with you wherever you are. I really am. So as Moses, who is a shepherd, a lowly shepherd, he's also an ex-convict because the last time he was in Egypt, he killed an Egyptian. He's on the lamb. He's on the run. 
He's supposed to go back into Egypt. He's going to walk into Pharaoh's throne room. He's going to face off with the most powerful human being on the planet. And the confidence that he's supposed to draw down from God is the confidence that God is with him. He really is. Now, as profound as this is, and as moving as this can be, I have to be honest. It kind of falls a little flat for me, too. God is with us. It can sound like a platitude. It can sound like one of those well-meaning greeting cards. And how many of us have faced our own pharaohs, our own physical challenges, broken relationships, difficult work circumstances, and a well-meaning person has come to us and said, God is with you. And we felt like saying, okay, but I don't feel him, and I sure don't see him and what's going on. I recently had a season like that for myself. Uh, in 2015, my husband and I moved here to Canada. My husband, Dwayne, is Canadian. I'm American. We met in university down in the States and spent the first 13 years of our marriage traveling all over the States. But then we decided that it was time. We wanted to come back to Canada. And I was so thrilled to do that. I was so thrilled to move here. I love living here. But I'll be honest, the move came at a great personal sacrifice for me. Um, primarily, I couldn't work the first year I was here because I had to go through the immigration process. And this was a big loss for me because I had a thriving career as a part-time professor down in the States, working at a small liberal arts university. I loved designing courses, teaching courses, mentoring my students, working with my students. And the beauty of it was, was because it was part-time, I could be home in the afternoons for my kids. And I also was a writer. I had written two books, and I was traveling, and I was doing interviews for the books, and I was going to conferences. And I really had this sort of threat. I was sort of like living my best professional self down in the States. But then that all just got wiped out when I moved up here. There was nothing. I couldn't work. There was nothing I could do professionally here. And then on top of that, it was the first time in my life as a mother where both my kids were in school all day long. So... If I wasn't careful, I would just sit at home alone for five days waiting for my family to come back to me at the end of the day. My husband to come back from work, my kids to come back from school. Every time we had moved before, I had always joined MOPS groups, mothers of preschools or other, you know, moms groups. And it was a great way. Kids are a great way to sort of like break that social barrier and connect with other parents. But in this transition, my kids had aged out of those groups, and so there was no way to connect to other parents readily. We hadn't gotten connected here to Elevation yet. It took a while to find you all. Um, so glad we did. Uh, so I didn't have a church family right away. So I was very isolated, and I was very lonely for the first several months that we were here. On top of that, financially, it was a really difficult time for us. Any of you who have moved provinces or moved countries know that you hemorrhage money when you move, right? Like, just so expensive. And unfortunately, Dwayne's department who had hired him here weren't accustomed to hiring people from other countries and weren't aware of the huge financial burden it was to us and so didn't offer us a travel stipend, a moving stipend, and so it completely wiped out our savings to move here. And then on top of that, before in the States, we had always lived in university housing and had university furniture. So when we moved here, we had no furniture. We had beds and we had a dining room table. So we had no furniture for our house, no money to start to get furniture for our house. And there were several weeks, I'm just 
being totally vulnerable and honest with you here, where we didn't have enough money for groceries. Now, thankfully, we got connected to the Family Resource Center, and we got approved to get groceries from them, and that was a huge help for the first several months. So it was a difficult season. And if you would have come up to me and said, God is with you in this season, I would have said, ah, I do not feel him. Because to add insult to injury, this was also, for whatever reason, I don't know why, God, for the first time in my spiritual life, withdrew his comfort from me. You know, I've faced difficult times before. I have faced challenges and losses, and I have always known how to go into my prayer time, how to go into my worship time, and access the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and feel his comfort. That comfort has been very real for me, even tangible. And I could sit down with you and tell you those stories. But for some reason, God chose to remove that comfort from me in this transition. And I didn't understand why. I would go into my prayer time, I'd go into my worship, and it was just cold comfort. And it felt mean. It felt cruel. I was like, Lord, why are you doing, why? Why would you do this to me? So if we may feel skeptical sometimes about this platitude that God is with us, Moses was certainly skeptical too. Listen to how he responded. It'll make us feel a little bit better. Um, so even after God gives Moses this name, he says, I am who I am. I'm going to be with you wherever you are. I really will be. Moses is like, uh, yeah, but okay. But what if I end up in the courts with the Egyptians? And I love how he says, if, what if, as if he hasn't committed to this yet. He's not on board totally. Uh, and they don't believe me. They don't believe that you have sent me. And God's like, okay, well, fine. I'll give you these three miracles that you can do. And he says, take your staff, put your staff on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. Pick the snake back up. It's going to turn into a staff. That's the first miracle. The second one is he says, take your hand, put your hand in your cloak. When you bring it back out, it's going to have leprosy on it. When you put it back in and bring it back out, it will be healed. And he says, here's the final miracle for you. Take this cup, go scoop up water from the Nile, and when you drop it on the ground, it will be blood. So God's acquiescing here. He's saying, okay, fine. If they don't believe you, here are three miracles you can do to prove that I have sent you. And what I love about this is that God doesn't lead with the miracles. You know, when Moses first asked God, who are you? What is your, what is your name? What is the unique power you have to offer me when I face Moses? Moses doesn't come out with, uh, okay, well, here are these miracles I'm going to give you to do, and also I'm going to perform these plagues that are going to blow everybody's mind. That's the display of my power. God doesn't lead with the miracles. He leads with his presence. He says, I am who I am. I will be with you. That is the great power I have is my presence with you. So how do we orient ourselves to this truth that God is with us? He really is when we sometimes may not feel that his presence is anywhere close. Well, the good news is that the presence of God with us is not some warm, fuzzy, vague feeling. The presence of God with us is the very real, tangible, concrete presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our life. And we've just come out of this season of Advent. We've just come out of Christmas where we've celebrated Jesus. And we've celebrated Jesus as Emmanuel, right? 
which means God with us. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the name of I am who I am. God says all the way back to Moses in Exodus, I am with you, I truly am. And then all, and then all through history, if you read through the Old Testament, God keeps telling his people, I am with you. He takes them into the desert and he, he gives them the, the Ark of the Covenant and then he tells them to build a tabernacle so he can tabernacle with them. He can be with them, right? And then we fast forward all the way to the New Testament. Here's Jesus, the incarnation of God, who is with us in flesh. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the embodiment of God with us. And I'm going to tell you something a little, little radical, a little edgy here. We Christians don't believe that Jesus is dead. I know that sounds ridiculous. Because we're about to go into Easter here in a couple months. And we're going to celebrate the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Yeah, yeah, we know Jesus isn't dead. Yeah, we celebrate it every year. But I think if we're honest, we imagine Jesus as sort of like a long-distance relationship, right? He rose from the dead, but then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's like in this dimension somewhere else where we have this long-distance relationship with him where we can only really reach him through FaceTime and email. But the Bible says otherwise. That's not true. Jesus' body may not be here, but his presence is here. And it's here through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is a real, tangible presence that, even if we can't see with our eyes, it interacts with us on a day-to-day -day basis. Jesus says in chapter 14, 26, but when the, when the Father sends the Comforter instead of me, and by the Comforter I mean the Holy Spirit, he will teach you much, as well as remind you of everything myself I myself have told you. So Jesus tells his disciples, I'm, I have to go away, but when I go away, God and I are going to come back to you again, and we're going to come back in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the power of I am who I am is the power of God as the Holy Spirit, Jesus as the Holy Spirit, moving and working among us in real ways. And I've come to believe, as I've studied this and I've, I've thought about my own life and experience with God, is that the power of I am is not just that he has the power to change our circumstances. Because God does. He is a God of miracles. But as we saw with Moses, he doesn't always lead with the miracles. He leads first with his presence. The power of the presence of I am is that he meets us in our circumstances and changes us in our circumstances. And he did this with Moses. He met Moses in the circumstances, and he changed and transformed Moses to rise to the task. We read in Acts 7, verse 22, Stephen writes about Moses. This is many, 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 many years later. This is after Jesus um, has, has, you know, has died and rose again and come back. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Okay, well, if we go back to the story of Moses, we'll see that one of the arguments that Moses made to God about why Moses shouldn't go to Pharaoh is he says, God, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of language and speech, tongue. I think speech and tongue is what he says. 
And many scholars believe this is true, that Moses had some kind of speech impediment. So when we read this in Acts from Stephen, and he says that Moses is powerful in speech and action, is Stephen being hyperbolic? Is he exaggerating? There's a mismatch here between the picture of Moses as God is calling him and the picture of Moses generations later. And I think as we read the Bible and we read the Old Testament, when we see the truth, it's not an exaggeration. Moses really did rise to the task in remarkable ways. Moses is the one who faces Pharaoh. Moses is the one who leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is the one who parts the Red Sea through the power of God. Moses is the one who receives the Ten Commandments. Moses is the one who goes on to write the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Remember I told you Moses didn't have the Old Testament the way we had because he hadn't written it yet. The Israelites didn't have it yet because Moses hadn't written it yet, right? But Moses goes on to write the first five books of the Bible. We see a picture here of a man who is transformed, right? And God has the power to do that for us too. And if we wonder in what ways the Holy Spirit can meet us and transform us, we can look at 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So if we want to know how God can transform us, this is a picture of how. As you face your pharaohs in 2019, as you face God's calling, maybe he's calling you to some really great and big things that you can't really wrap your mind around. Or maybe you're facing some things that feel out of your control and feel really oppressive to you and problematic. You can pray and ask God to give you a spirit of love in the midst of that. You can pray and ask God to give you a spirit of power in the midst of that. You can pray and ask God to give you a spirit of self-discipline in the midst of that circumstance. That's what I experienced in my own story. God didn't change my circumstances, but he changed me in my circumstances. So about, it was about 10 months into our move here, I was just riddled with resentment, if I'm honest, angry at God. I felt hurt. I felt like God had just sort of benched me. He'd sort of thrown me aside, and I was feeling resentful and bitter and frustrated. And I decided, I just, I need to talk to someone. I thought, okay, I'm going to talk to my mom and dad, because, you know, um, I'm a missionary kid. We, we grew up, my parents were missionaries, and I grew up moving around the world <clears throat> And they moved several times while I was growing up. And so I thought, I want to talk to them and see, how did they handle this? And my parents were so great. They sat and they listened to me, and I just sort of like poured it all, all the like poison out of me, all my frustration and my hurt, my anger. And they listened quietly. And then my dad said this to me. He said, I think at some point you have to stop asking what God is not doing for you, but start asking what he's doing in you. I think at some point you have to stop asking what God is not doing for you, but start asking what he's doing in you. And it was like someone opened a window on my soul and like the breath of fresh air just like blew in. And I thought, that's right. That's right. And so my prayer changed. I stopped praying, God, why have you thrown me aside? Why are you ignoring me? And I started praying, God, help me to see this time through your eyes. 
Help me not to waste it. Help me to be resourceful and faithful during this season. And there was a deep peace that took, took over my heart from there. And then, of course, things did work out wonderfully and beautifully for us. And I have seen God's faithfulness to us over and over and over again. Um, but first, he changed my heart before he changed the circumstances. So during our worship time, Melissa and the band sang the song, um, Mountains to Valley. And in the bridge, they sang this refrain, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And I just, I keep thinking of Moses standing in the courtroom, in the, in the throne room of Pharaoh, and he's surrounded by the glory and the splendor and the, like, the, the obvious visible display of Pharaoh's power and wealth on every side. But the reality is that he's surrounded by the presence of I am. It looks like he's surrounded by Pharaoh, but he's surrounded by the presence of I am. And that's my prayer for you as we go out this week and as we go out into 2019, if God is calling you to a huge vision, a huge task, if you're facing your own pharaohs, you may feel like you're surrounded by things you can't control, by things that are outside of your capacity, but you're surrounded by the presence of I am, and that makes all the difference. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your name. I am who I am. Thank you, God, that you are with us wherever we are. You really are. God, I pray that the reality of that would sink into our hearts and our minds this week. That that presence, whether we feel it or not, whether we believe it or not, would begin to work uh, through our hearts and our minds and our circumstances and transform us into your people, into your children who are loved by you deeply and surrounded by you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.